This month, we have been studying the Holy Spirit. And that's such an important topic, to study the Holy Spirit. Amen. John 4.24 tells us that God is what? A spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. There's people who have some truth, but no spirit. And they have some spirit, but no truth. Amen. You've got to have both. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Amen. We're going to look at that a little bit uh, more today. John 4.23 says, But the hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers, true worshipers, amen, will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Amen. I want to be a true worshiper. A true worshiper. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. Do you understand? I heard this preacher say it, and it really hit me, and I never forgot it. You know, a lot of times we go seeking God. But God will come seeking us. If we're a true worshiper. It says that when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God will come looking for you when you just start to worship. When you start to thank Him. When you start to give Him praise. You may, you know, I try to find the moments when I don't need anything. Because that's when I want to worship God. Because usually it's when we need something that we, we come running to Him. But I, wanna, I want sometimes I, 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 during the, the week and I think, do I need anything? No. Well, then now I want to worship God. I just want to thank Him for who He is. Not because of Him giving something to me. Amen. But the, the greatest gift that He did give us, of course, is His Holy Spirit. And we're going to be looking at that and studying that this morning. Amen. It's interesting... And in our question and answer section later on, I want you to think about this. Why did Jesus call the Holy Spirit the Comforter? Think about that. Amen? Is there, is there something we're missing and not availing ourselves of? Because Jesus called the Holy Spirit the Comforter. And we want to look at that. Because I think that there's, there's, there's parts of the Holy Spirit that we're not, we're not using. Amen? We go to all kinds of other things for help. When we're in trouble, we call a friend, call a neighbor. But Jesus called the Holy Spirit the comforter. You know, I think if you were a parent, you'd be real upset or hurt if when your child fell down and hurt his knee, went and ran off to some other parent over there. Can you, can you, can you picture this? You'd be going like, wow. <laughs> you know, they're hurt and they're crying and they go running off to some stranger. Do you know that's what we do with God? Because he called the Holy Spirit the comforter. And yet, do we use it as that? Let's read that scripture. Acts chapter 2 verse 1, when the Holy Spirit was given, it says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, as I said, we celebrated uh, the day of Pentecost earlier this month. They were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound Last week we talked about it, about the sound of the Spirit from heaven, as of what? A rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house that they were sitting. I've long said that if you want to have the Spirit have liberty, we're going to have to fill the house, clear the atmosphere, because it's the atmosphere where Satan t tends to, to dwell in. He's called the Lord of the the flies or the Lord that flies. And we need to clear out the atmosphere over Milwaukee, really. I believe that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came in and banished all the demonic forces for miles around. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. And it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You know, there are certain days in history that we remember maybe. You know, maybe, I don't know how old you guys are, but some of you. Uh, let me see, I'm trying to remember the most notable thing I can remember going back in my past. I can remember uh, the moon landing. I can remember, it was, I think, July the 16th, 1969. 
and, and it was in black and white, and I was up to watch the moon landing. I, I saw them get out of the, uh, the spacecraft and come down, and that stuck in my brain. I think I was, uh, let me see, 69, so I was probably uh, about 13 or something like that. I can't remember exactly how old I was, but that stuck in my mind. Another date that stuck in my mind was, um, was when the, the, the first Challenger thing uh, spacecraft blew up. And maybe there's some, some dates that have stuck in your mind, but there's some dates that have been in universal in history. And one of them was, of course, when the Holy Spirit was given. Almost 2,000 years ago, there came a day when after thousands of years, God returned His Spirit, amen, to each of us. The possibility that we could have a personal comforter. I tell you what, I need a comforter. You know, you may be close to your wife, but there's still, or your husband, but there's still some things that really can only be solved between you and God. Amen. You need a personal comforter. That covering was returned back to man for the first time after thousands of years, after Adam and Eve sinned. The whole purpose of it was to bring us back to God, to enable us back into his presence. The Bible says without the spirit of God, we are what? None of it is as harsh as that may be. It's the truth. It's, it's, it's our spiritual blood that makes us part of the family. There's some key things in this scripture to note. They were on one accord. They were on one accord. They were in unity. They were being obedient. Now, I think it's in Peter. It says that Jesus was seen after the resurrection by more than 500 people. But there were only 120 in the upper room. You know what that tells me? That at the beginning there was a whole lot more people, but they weren't going to wait. They weren't going to wait. I believe there was a lot more than 120 at the start because Peter tells us he was seen by more than 500 people. And he, his, his last appearance was about 10 days after the resurrection, his last bodily appearance. So that means that there were people 40 days before who had seen the risen Christ, knew the truth of the resurrection, and they'd all been told to do what? Go and tarry at Jerusalem until you be endued. You know what we're doing right now? We're waiting. We've been told to wait because he's coming. And the trouble is, though, there's some people who won't wait. They'll leave the room. They'll leave the house. They'll leave the ark. Only to miss the greatest next event in human history which is the second coming of Christ. But those who waited, the Bible says they were on one accord. See, God has a perfect timing. And sometimes we don't understand it. We, we don't uh, uh, appreciate it. And we want it, you know, I'm a very impatient person. And that means I make a lot of mistakes because I, when I want something, I want it now. <laughs> which is not a good thing. The Bible says they that wait upon the Lord, he shall renew their strength. You see, we have to be patient because God has a perfect timing. And, you know, he's taught me that many times now, and I still got to learn that lesson, to wait upon the Lord, to wait patiently upon the Lord. David, every character in, 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 in Scripture, there was a time when they had to wait upon the Lord, right? They had to wait upon the Lord. David waited probably... Uh, 15 years from the time Samuel anointed him with oil before he became king, right? Abraham waited 25 years before the promised son of his own body came to fruition, right? Look at every character. Daniel had to be a captive from the time he was 17 till the time he was an old man before Israel was released. It's they that wait upon the Lord. They that wait upon the Lord. If there's something you've been praying about you haven't seen, wait patiently for it. Amen. Although it tarry, it shall come. When the day of Pentecost was fully come. You know the reason why it says that? Because the Jews used to count the day from the previous evening. So when it's saying fully come, it meant it was in the morning. It was in the morning. And we know that because that's what Peter said when they accused them of being drunk. It said it's only nine o'clock. The bars and the, and the pubs are not open. But this is that which was spoken of 
by the prophet Joel. This is, this is the new wine. This is the kind of spirit you can't get from Budweiser or, or, or Morgan, whatever the name. I don't know all the names of them. But this is the kind of spirit you can't get that way. This is the spirit that was promised all the way from the garden. That one of these days God would pour out of his spirit upon all flesh. It was the reason Jesus came. So that he could die. And release that spirit. The, one of the last things he said was, Father, into thy hands commend I my spirit. So that it could be poured out upon us as a gift. Amen. And the only thing it needs is true repentance. True submission. True acknowledgement. I told you my testimony last week, how I got the Holy Ghost. I was waiting for nine years. I was baptized at nine, uh, but I didn't get it till I was 18 because... I, I decided how God should do it. I told him how he needed to do it. <laughs> Didn't happen that way. I told him how I wanted it to happen. I was just going to fold my hands and say, okay, God, do some magic now. <laughs> I want to see some magic. I want you to levitate me, spin me, and, and make stuff happen. If you're real, do it that way, God. You know, that's how we do it. We tell God how it's supposed to happen. They did not know how it was going to happen. All they were told was, wait. You wait in Jerusalem until. And, one, you know, and then there came a sound. Then there came a sound. As I said last week, when a baby is born, the first thing they're wanting to hear is that sound. If they don't hear the sound, they start to get into action. They start getting that suction thing and suctioning out, and they start patting the baby because they want to hear a sound. They want that breath. Amen. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This was something that had been promised when Adam had lost it. In Genesis 2, 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed, just as Jesus did in John. In the beginning, God breathed, and, but it's not revealed what was said. There was something said. It's revealed in John the same thing that Jesus said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Ha, take of my spirit. Amen. We, we, we studied last week how in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit moved upon people, but it was not permanent. The Spirit would move upon Samson and suddenly he would become supernatural in strength. He was able to do all kinds of supernatural feats that, he, that a normal man could not. God breathed and said, in John 22, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Now, it did not be, was not fulfilled that instant, but it was a promise. It was something that was going to happen if they waited. As I said, Scripture tells us that in Peter, uh, it says that, that, they, that the risen Christ was seen by more than 500 people. And I can imagine that on day 10 after the resurrection, there was at least 400 of them packed into that upper room. And then by day 20, there was only 300 of them. And by th day 30, there was only 200 of them. And they were starting to say, you know, how long shall we wait? <laughs> you ever ask God that? How long? Even the souls in Revelation that have been beheaded, that's their, that's their, that's their refrain. Lord, how long? How long before you avenge us? How long before we get justice? How long before our situation moves? How long before this season of trial we're going through? That's our cry all the time, isn't it? How long? Because we, we are so impatient. But God has a perfect timing if we will just wait. He has a perfect timing. He has a perfect plan. He had mapped this out to fulfill all of the symbols that he had created in the Old Testament, that it was on the day of Pentecost that they were to come as they were. That is, they were to bring the, the, the loaves of bread uh, baked with leaven. On the barley harvest, you had to purify the leaven. But on the Pentecost harvest, you came with the leaven because he was going to fix it. He was going to fix it. The truth is, you cannot come to God unless you have a covering. Every single creature... God has created, he has created them with a covering. Even the angels had a covering. Satan had a covering before he fell. In Psalms 91, one of our favorite scriptures when we're in trouble, it says, he shall what? Cover thee. 
he shall cover thee. It's translated feathers, but it would be better as a covering because in the Hebrew, that word means like a skirt or covering. That's what it means. We, we, we picture the scene in the book of Ruth where Boaz is sleeping and Ruth goes up to where he's sleeping on the threshing ground and Ruth had told her, this is what you do. You, un- you uncover his feet. Because in those days, the, the shoes were a symbol of covenant. And what she was acknowledging, that, that, that she wanted to be in covenant with him. God wants to be in covenant with us. Do you, know, you know, understand that? He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings, covering shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Every single creature that God is in relationship with has a covering. In Hebrew, it's translated wings, but it really means the corner or hem of a garment. That's what he wants to cover us with. Scripture said his banner over us was love. His covering over us is love. Because it takes love to love some of us, I tell you that. It takes, especially if you know us like he does. Because you see, you only know me from the outside when I'm all dressed up. But he can see every, every fault, every failure. And so the Bible says his covering, his banner over us is love. God so loved the world that he gave. As I've said so many times, the difference between love and lust is love, is love gives, lust takes. That's the difference. Lust wants to take, selfish, but love wants to give. Amen. We'll see that every creature, as I said, to come into God's presence has to have a covering. In Isaiah 6, verse 1, Isaiah catches a vision of heaven and he sees the angelic beings. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. And with twain he did fly. Now we know that this is all symbolic to teach us something because angels don't actually need wings to fly. In fact, when they're seen on earth, they never actually have wings. They appear as men. But it's symbolic. Remember what wings was in 91? Let's go back to 91. Wings is symbolic of what? A covering. When you see the angels described with wings, it's not because they need it to fly. It's because they need to have a covering. No creature can come into God's presence without a covering. That includes us. That's why we need his Holy Spirit. Without his Holy Spirit, the Bible says we are what? None of his. We were all given a covering. Adam was created with God's spirit with a covering. That's why he was in fellowship. That's why he had to leave the garden once the covering had gone. So the angels even have a covering. And as you can see, they're there to cover their their face, their feet, to be in the presence of God. Without a covering, you cannot see God. Moses said, listen, I want to see you, God. He says, you can't do that. You'll die. But I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you in a covering. I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock. And you're going to be able to see my hinder parts. Of course, in the New Testament, that rock is revealed to be who? It's only with the covering of Jesus can we glimpse God. I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock. In the New Testament, it says that rock that followed them was Christ. That's the rock that gave them water. That rock followed them the whole time they were in the wilderness. See, you need a covering. You cannot come before God's presence without a covering. The Bible said no man, no Adam, no no dust hath seen God at any time. But it's been revealed, who? Through Jesus Christ. Without Christ, we can't see God. In fact, Jesus says no man cometh to the Father, but by me. You have to be in that rock. You have to be on that rock. Upon this rock will I build my church. And then the gates of hell, you're not going to move a rock. 
You might move a stone, but you're not going to move a rock. (laughs) See, Peter was just a stone, but Jesus was the rock. Amen. We know the story of Adam and Eve, how they had this covering. And I've taught many times how we know they had the covering because although they were naked, they couldn't see it. Because they were covered with the Shekinah glory. If you could have seen Adam and Eve, they would have looked just like Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. They would have glowed, they would have shone just as Jesus did. Genesis 3.9, And the Lord God called Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. You know, that's what a lot of people do when they mess up. (laughs) They stop coming to church. (laughs) They go hide, thinking that that makes it all better. You know, it's like when you've seen the ostrich stick his head in the sand, but the rest of him is sticking out. It's only his head that's that's hiding. Every, every other part is fully exposed to trouble. And many of us are like that. We, when we have trouble, we stick our head in the sand and think, okay, it's gone away. But our butt's right there in the air for the devil to attack. <laughs> We're just hiding from ourselves. See, Adam went and hid, even though they had made a covering. We cannot make a covering good enough. He had made some fig leaves, right? And it covered the outside, but it couldn't cover the inside. People make fig leaves of their job, of their their career, of their... But it covers the outside, but it still does not fix the inside. And he said, who told thee thou wast naked? Because, of course, the, the problem was listening to somebody else. When we listen to the wrong word... Because the only word that feeds us is his word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I should not sin against. Psalms 119. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light. See, their problem was they listened to somebody else's word. That word brought doubt. That word killed faith. And God said... God didn't ask him, did you eat of the fruit? He said, who did you listen to? That'd be a good title for a message. Who who are you listening to? Because Satan is telling you all kinds of stuff. Number one, he's telling you you're a mess, you're a failure, and God doesn't love you. And he tells you that every day. He feeds you that message every day, how God does not love you, and you're a failure, and you might as well give up. Who are you listening to? If you believe him, you'll start to lose faith. You'll start to to turn around. It's a good thing that when Jesus reprimanded Peter, he didn't just say, you're going to betray me. When the cock crows three times, you're going to betray me. But he he added this one little thing. And when thou art converted, (laughs) when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. I can imagine that after the cock crowed and he had just denied Jesus and he saw Jesus looking at him. The Bible said he went out and he wept bitterly. But somewhere along that journey, as he replayed the events in his mind, he must have remembered that Jesus said this other thing. "When, When thou art converted. In other words, when you have repented, when you have come back, Go strengthen your brethren. You see, God makes a way for us to come back. He is so merciful. He is so gracious. Even sometimes when we grieve the Holy Spirit. Who told you that you were naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee? Thou shouldest not eat. So we can see where they lost the covering. And because of that, they had to lose communion with God. And so communion with God now was at a distance. God had to have intercessors. There had to be a Levitical system. There had to be a go-between. And even they were so imperfect. The high priest, before he could begin to even officiate, he had to go repent for his own sins, right? He had to kill his own animal, uh, bring his own uh, offering. Then he could start to to minister for the people. And on that day of atonement, once every year, where he was 
doing it for the whole nation. Seven days before the event, he had to put himself away so he couldn't get defiled because then he would not be accepted. And he still couldn't really see God. That's why they had to go through all these veils. And even then, when he went in on the Day of Atonement, he had to take the steam from the golden altar, and it was the steam and the blood that enabled him behind that. He couldn't really stay in there too long. He had to come back out. And no one else could go in there until Jesus said, It is finished. Man's redemption is paid. And the temple veil tore in two. And that's why in Hebrews 4.16 it says, Now we can do what? Come boldly to a throne of grace. There to obtain mercy. Isn't that great? Because the scripture says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We need mercy. We need grace. And although the world is celebrating regular Father's Day. I'm here to celebrate Heavenly Father's Day. So let's get to the meat of of this lesson. Jesus had been telling the disciples that he was going away. And of course, they started to get very upset and nervous. But he said, listen, don't worry though. I'm going to send you something else. I'm going to send you something else. John 14, 16. This chapter is the chapter where he starts off Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And they got all nervous. He says, but listen, in verse 16, I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter. So the question is, what did he mean and why did he call the Holy Spirit the comforter? that he may abide with you forever. Because this is something, an aspect of the Holy Spirit that I don't think we focus on. We focus on the speaking in tongues. We We focus on the power. But what does it mean when Jesus kept on referring to the Holy Spirit as the comforter? Well, in the Greek, that word is parakletos. And what it means is someone who comes beside you. It's not going to make you do anything, but a helper. Someone who stands beside you. Amen. I'll just read some of the definitions. It says, um, call to one side. Call to one's aid. One who pleads another's cause. Before a judge, a pleader, counsel or defense. A legal assistant, an advocate. One who pleads another's cause with one. An intercessor. Amen. In the widest sense, it means a helper. Someone who is an assistant. But I, I think we're not really using the Holy Spirit's uh, position much. We, we, we come to church, we worship, we speak in tongues. But what about the comforter part? What about the comforter part? You know what I said? How hurtful it would be your child gets hurt and he goes and runs to a stranger. What would you think about that? Man, that would hurt, wouldn't it? And yet that's exactly what we do with God. Right? We get hurt. We go to everyone else except the comforter. Amen. My brother? Yes, that's what it, it is. It, it, in actual, it means someone who comes besides. Almost like, a, like what you came in holding when you were coming in. That's what that is. A help meet. It's, it's what, but we don't turn to God in that way. You know, we don't, we don't realize that we have something more. We're not using all the benefits. Amen. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Jesus referenced this, the Holy Spirit in these terms so many times. In John 14, 26, in the same chapter, he says, But the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father shall send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. You know, the problem is we don't listen. We should like, sometimes we should have a little conversation with the Spirit of God. We should, all the time really. We should, we should get quiet and we should, we should start talking to God instead of our neighbor, uh, even our pastor. Let's speak to God first. Let's speak to God first. Have a talk and listen and maybe the Spirit will say something back to you. 
Because the scripture says here, he will bring all things to your remembrance. The times when I've did that, the word will just come to me and say, you know, and start talking to me. Amen. John 15, 26. But when the comforter is come, whom I will send to you from the father, even the spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the father, he shall testify of me. John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Amen. Now, see, Jesus was going to do something special in his death. Because while he was on earth, he could only be, he was only localized in one place. But what he was trying to say, there's going to be a multiplication there's going to, in his death, you know, when you plant something, it's not one thing that comes back up. There is a multiplication when you plant something, it bears fruit. Jesus, when he died, the Bible says in his death, he brought many sons to glory. Instead of just the 12 disciples now, it was going to be a multiplication. No matter how they tried to stamp out Christianity, it multiplied, it grew, it prospered. It bore fruit. Amen. I want to read this a little bit long, but it's about the comforter. All praise for 2 Corinthians 1, 3. One of the purposes of the comforter, and I put this in a modern translation so that because it's a little bit strange in the King James, it says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. Paul here is explaining a little bit about the comforter and how it works. He says, he comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. Because if you've been through something, you're able to say, listen, I understand. I'm going to give you some encouragement. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others when they are troubled. That's one purpose of the comforter, so that you can encourage someone else. Now, have you done that this week? All right. So we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort. See, now we don't want to hear that, but that's what the scripture says. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, (laughs) I'm laughing because I'm thinking of all the the stuff, all the stuff, even when we are weighed down with troubles, amen, even when anybody weighed down with some troubles, it's okay to admit it because the Bible says when we are weak, then we give the opportunity for God's strength to even the more to dwell on us, amen, even the more to, to dwell on us, even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. Now that don't make sense. What he's saying is when we're weighed down with troubles, it gives God the opportunity to show his love to us, his deliverance to us. If you never needed anything, if you never had a problem, how, what would you be doing praying? You wouldn't, you wouldn't, you would say, what need have I of God? Now it's not that God causes these things, but he uses these things to show us his love. He uses the opportunities of our troubles to come in and show us his love. Now, that love may not be shown in taking away the fire, but taking us through the fire. God did not stop Nebuchadnezzar throwing the three Hebrew boys in the fire. No, he didn't. But when Nebuchadnezzar looked, didn't we throw three people in there? How is it I see a fourth one? How can that be forth? There's going to be times when you're in the fire and you're asking God to stop the fire. But you know what? He's going to say, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. He will take you through. He will take you through. You may not realize it, but you will come through that. Amen. Thy rod and thy staff. What does it say? They comfort me. The Holy Spirit is the rod and, thy, and the staff. Even when you're going through the Valley of the shadow of death. In the Old Testament, it's, they come. From, that's the Holy Spirit. It's the rod and it's the staff. The rod is for correction. The staff is to pull you out. That hook will pull you out of some cracks and some crevices you've got stuck in. 
Amen. Here's what he goes on to say. And, and Paul could speak from experience. The great apostle, this is what gives me such hope. He says, even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. We are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort God gives us. We think you ought to know. Paul is confessing now. He said, you think I'm this great apostle? I, I've prayed for people that come back from the dead. Does that stop trouble coming my way? No, it does not. Here is what he's telling the Corinthians. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed. This is Paul speaking. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. That's how it feels sometimes, doesn't it? Beyond our ability, and we thought we would never live through it. This is Paul speaking. This is the Apostle Paul. Now, if, if the Apostle Paul can say this stuff, uh, don't, don't be complaining too much. There has been no temptation that has come upon you that is not common. You know, I don't know why we all feel, man, nobody knows. <laughs> As the song says, the trouble. is how that song go? Nobody knows but Jesus. <laughs> We can have a great pity party. I throw the best pity parties. I do. <laughs> I throw the best pity party. Lord Jesus, why did you make me a pastor? <laughs> I could be somewhere nice. <laughs> I would have no responsibility. Nobody would be. <laughs> I can't even say sometimes. (laughs) We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And we thought we would never live through. This is Paul. This is Paul saying this. Not some newbie Christian. This is Paul. This was well into his ministry. Think about this. Right? In fact, we expected to die. That's verse 9. But as a result... He's saying because we, 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 we thought we were going to die, as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves. This is the purpose. This is the whole purpose of, of what we go through is to stop relying on ourselves and learned. Let's say learned. To rely upon God. This is, this is what the Holy Spirit came to do so that we rely upon the Holy Spirit. Paul gave up. He said, we, we so expected to die that, and it was so hopeless that we gave up. We gave up trying to figure it out. And we learned to rely on God who raises the dead. He can raise the dead situation you think is impossible. That's what he said. And he did rescue us from mortal danger. And he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him and he will continue to rescue us. Every time I think I'm at a roadblock and I'm, I'm about to say, God, well, I don't know how this is going to work out. He fixes it. And he takes away my excuse. And I can't find an excuse to say, well, now I can't do this, God, because he takes it away and says, now, like, okay, now what are you going to say? That's what he does. Every time in the last few years as pastor and I come across some impossibility and I say, well, Lord, I, you know, it, that's it. Can't do it. He comes in and he does a miracle. That's what he does. He rescues us. And then hopefully we have learned to place our confidence. That's what Paul says in verse 10. And placed our confidence in him. And he will continue to rescue us. The comforter should be our place of refuge. The first person we speak to in a problem should be God. The first person we go to in our Trouble should be God. Amen. Now let's look at some other aspects of the Holy Spirit because one of the things that Jesus said it would do would be to teach us. How does the Holy Spirit teach us? John fourteen twenty six. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. Now the scripture, I think James says, he that lacks wisdom should do what? 
I asked God all the time, I said, God, I don't know how to, how to do things well. Please give me wisdom. Give me the wisdom of Solomon because I'm, I'm, if I do it in myself, I'm bound to make the wrong decision. It says the Holy Spirit will teach us. We need to ask the Holy Spirit every day, Lord, teach me. Help me to learn. Open my understanding. The other thing that the Holy Spirit does is if we let it, it sets us apart. It sanctifies. It makes us different. It makes us unusual. The Bible says you are a peculiar people. Pecul- We're not supposed to be common and garden. We're, the, the, the word profane means common, right? But we're supposed to be a peculiar people. 1 Corinthians 6, 11, And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. The Holy Spirit separates us, makes us unusual, makes us, makes us unique, makes us different. 1 Peter 1, 2 says this, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification, that means putting us apart, unto what? Obedience. To be sanctified, though, you have to be obedient. My dad used to tell a story. Years when he was young, he used to work on construction sites. And um, he tells a story about this man who was at the bottom of this skyscape building they were working on. And a shout came out, stand from below. And what you're supposed to do when you hear that is move. (laughs) Not look up and say, what? (laughs) You know, most of us, when God speaks to us, that's what we do. We want it explained to us. You know, and you know what happens when you do that? When you don't just move, the thing's going to hit you. You've just been given a warning. There's no time to explain. You got to move. Most of us want to use that little three word, why? Because you know what we want to do? Use our independent judgment. I want to decide if I need to move. You don't tell me to move. I want to know if I should move. And of course, in the story, the thing that was falling, the hammer hit him in the head. And he was lucky he didn't die because he was, he was wanting to say, like, why? You know, when we get a warning, we're to move. The Bible says, listen, through sanctification of the Spirit, that means being set apart and unto obedience. Obedience. Sometimes there's no time to explain what the reason is. We just have to move. The sprinkling of blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. The Holy Spirit, one of the works of the Holy Spirit is to make us separate, to make us unique, to make us different. In the Old Testament, when the people of Israel were in Egypt, they were separate. They were in Egypt, but yet they were separate. Jesus said, they're going to be in the world but not of the world. The reason that they were separate is when the plagues came, there was darkness over Egypt, but there was light over Goshen. There could be COVID next door and no COVID where you are. (laughs) Right? When you're separate, God can bless you. It was not until Lot separated from Abraham that God said, okay, now I can bless you because this blessing, I'm going to bless Lot, but I have a special blessing for you. And sometimes we want to take everybody with us. And so we can't get the everybody blessing is all we're going to get. The one that God has uniquely for us, he can't give us because we won't get by ourselves. As I said, the reason why the children of Israel were in Egypt, but escaped many of the plagues because they were all in Goshen. If they had been scattered all over Egypt, then they would have gotten the plagues with the Egyptians. But some of the plagues they escaped because they were separate. They were separate. God has called us to be separate from the world. The Holy Spirit sets us apart. It makes us unique. The other thing that the Holy Spirit does is that it testifies. It's supposed to speak. He shall testify of me. That means when we have the Holy Spirit, we should become a witness. We should be different. Our lifestyle should not be 
like everybody else. People should notice you don't cuss and swear. They should notice that you have a certain something about you. Maybe they don't understand it, but there's something different about you. The spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify. Your lifestyle speaks louder than your words. You know, because a lot of people say, do as I say, not as I do. But our lifestyle should speak. People should be able to look at, look at your lifestyle and know there's something different about you. You hold yourself to a different standard. But when the Comforter is come, whom the, I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. The Holy Spirit enables us to be a witness. That don't mean you have to be out there necessarily speaking. People will look at you and know there's something about you that's different. So, you know, we should be the happiest people. Many times we're not, though. Good morning. What's good about it? <laughs> you know? It's not that we don't have problems. We're going to have issues. We're going to have sorrow. But the Bible said, if in this life alone, if this were all it is, yes, we could be miserable. We could be, but this is not all there is to life. For the Christian, the Bible says we have passed from death unto life. This is, this is like being born. This is the birth pangs. What we go through during this life on earth, however long you live, is not really life. There is an eternal place where your soul is going to have to reside at some point. And what we do down here counts. It counts. There is so much that happens during the birth that determines all that child is going to be. Because if there is a lack of oxygen during the birth, you can have brain damage now for a life. What goes on during the birth can somehow affect how that child's going to be for years and years to come. And so we think that down here, this doesn't do much. And some people think, well, okay, I'll wait and do like the thief on the cross. I'll wait till the very last moment, then I will start speaking to God. Now, he was fortunate. He said, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And God was so merciful that he told him, today... Thou shalt be in paradise. But not all of us will get that opportunity. The Bible says now is the time. So the Holy Spirit is there to help us be a witness. The other thing, of course, the, the, the premier thing the Holy Spirit does is it saves us. Titus 3, 5 says, not by works of righteousness, not because I'm a, a goody person, not because I can be perfect. I can't be perfect. I mess up every day. Just a lack of faith you know, is a sin. Just not trusting God is a sin. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. We couldn't do it because we're good enough. No one is good enough for God's spirit. It's a gift. It's a gift. But according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration. That means being born again, being born again. And the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. The Holy Spirit, the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to make us one with him. Amen. The Bible says Jesus, God was in Jesus reconciling. That means bringing back the world to himself. Amen. Romans 8, 9 says this, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if... That word, little two-letter word is so important. It is a condition. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. And here's the scripture I've been quoting all morning. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is what? I didn't put that in the Bible. That was written there many years ago. If you don't have the Spirit, God doesn't count you as belonging to him. But if Christ be in you, this body is dead. At one point, this body is going to die. If I live long enough, this body, all of us, is going to turn to dust. But if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the spirit, that means your soul, is life because of righteousness. Amen? 
That's what the Holy Spirit is here to do, to save, to deliver. And the other thing that the Holy Spirit does, and which we've talked about, it always comes with a sound. It always comes with a sound. John 3, 7, when he was speaking to Nicodemus, he said, Marvel not, don't be surprised that I said unto you, you've got to be born again. The wind, verse 8, blows where it wants to. And you hear the sound of it, but you can't see it. You can't tell whence it's coming. Sometimes it's swirling, right? It doesn't even have a, a particular direction. But he, Jesus went on to say, so it is with everyone that is born of the Spirit. And when we look in the book of Acts, everyone that is denoted to have been filled with the Spirit, the way they knew it says, and they heard the sound. They heard the sound. You know, a lot of people say, well, you just believe and you get the Holy Spirit, but that's not the case. Belief alone does not mean you have the Holy Spirit. I know there's some really big mega church people, John Osteen, not to mention any names. <laughs> and they say, say this little prayer. Now we believe you've been filled with the Spirit. But that's not what the Scripture says. No, that's not what the Scripture says. It says these signs. Mark sixteen sixteen. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs, plural, shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing. Now when it says they shall, it's not meaning you go out looking for poisonous snakes. There's enough of them walking around on two legs. <laughs> you don't have to go looking for them. You bump into them all day long when you go out <laughs> But what it says is they're not going to be able to have any power over you. They drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. You see, there's, when we get the Holy Spirit, a lot of us stop looking for the rest of the benefits, as I said last week. We shouldn't stop. We should, we should get all of the... It's like, you know, you, you, you've got this insurance policy and you're only using a little bit of it. You know, you got the free rental car. Well, I want the hotel. I want everything. When we had a house fire and uh, our house burnt down, the insurance, they, they put us up in a hotel and they gave us money for food. They gave us money. I wanted all of it. I just didn't want the rental car. I wanted everything that I was supposed to get because I had paid the premium. Jesus paid the premium. You need to get all of it. Amen. There's enough serpents walking out there on two feet. You don't have to worry about going picking up any, you know, real ones. There's enough of them out there. Amen. The Bible tells us that the common sign or the initial sign is that they shall speak with tongues. Amen. We see that in every circumstance. There are five recorded instances in the book of Acts. I'm only going to give you a little one. Acts 10.45. When... Peter was sent to the first Gentile, to Nicodemus. He didn't even finish his sermon. He started speaking. He was going to tell him about being baptized and everything. And while he was speaking, because there was so much faith, because Nicodemus and his household believed, and they were expecting something to happen, the Holy Ghost fell upon them. It says in Acts 10.45, And they of the circumcision, that means the Jews, who had come into this Roman centurion's house, were astonished. They thought this thing was only for the Jews. As many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles was also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. How did they know it? Verse 46. How did they know it? For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. That's how they knew it. It wasn't they said a little prayer and said, uh, Father, forgive me. And, and that's it. No. There's got to be a change in the heart. Believing is not the filling. Let me prove that to you. In Acts chapter 8 verse 12, a few maybe months, maybe a month after the Holy Ghost had been given and the disciples had started to preach the gospel all around uh, Judea and Samaria, as Jesus had said, it says, 
He went to a city of Samaria, and this is what it says about the people there. It says, but when they believed Philip, that means they believed him. They believed this story about Jesus being raised from the dead. They had been baptized, but let's see what it says. When they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. But nothing else had happened. Now, when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria, these Samaritans, had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Do you see that believing and receiving the Holy Ghost was not the same event? They had believed, they had been baptized, but they had not had this supernatural event happen yet. And it was only when Peter and John came down, it says... For when they were come down, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Verse 16 makes it plain. For as yet, he was fallen upon none of them. Only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 17, then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. So receiving the Holy Ghost and being baptized is not necessarily the same event. Believing by itself is not the same event. There was a, a further outward manifestation of the infilling of the Holy Spirit that happened. Amen. As I told you, we, we talked about Nicodemus. I'm going to read the whole, the whole event. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all of them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished because here's this Roman soldier, an oppressor of the Jews. And we come in his house and we start telling him about Christ and he starts speaking in tongues. And they were amazed because they thought this was never going to happen. This was only for us. We are the special. We're the chosen people. For they heard, how did they know this happened? Verse 46, what does it say? For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. In this case, they were filled with the spirit before they were baptized. So it doesn't matter the order. You just have to make sure you have both. Verse 47. Peter then says to the rest of the Jews, Can any man forbid water? You, you, is anyone going to object that these people shouldn't be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we, just like we did? And he commanded them. It wasn't optional. It wasn't optional. Well, you don't really need to be baptized now because you've got God's Spirit. People believe baptism is just a outward symbol. No, he said he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. In the name of the Lord then prayed they him to tarry certain days. How do we get this thing? How do we get the Holy Spirit? Well, let's go back to the day of Pentecost. And I'm just going to skip down to verse 38. Everybody can quote that, right? What's the first step in receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost? Repent. What does that really mean? It doesn't mean be sorry. It doesn't mean cry. It means turn around. It's an old English word that they used to use in the army. When the, when the drill sergeant would say, repent, they would turn around. That's what it means. It means turning around. It doesn't mean being sorry. People are sorry they get caught and they cry. But they're not, they're not, doesn't change them. They're just sorry they got caught. The Bible says godly sorrow worketh repentance. But there's a kind of other sorrow that they're just sorry they got caught. They're not really going to change. The key to getting the Holy Spirit is a made up mind that you want to change. You know, you have that picture of people hitting their head against the wall. Why is my head hurting? Well, stop hitting your head. Why am I in so much trouble in life? Because of the stupid decisions you make. You got to turn around. You got to change. Give it to God. The first step of receiving the Holy Spirit is to repent. Repent. Be baptized, every one of you. Now, these are the same people who just 50 days before had been screaming, crucify him. No doubt it was some of the same people. They were still in Jerusalem. These are the same people who were 
throwing stuff, spitting at him, crucify him. Same people. You know what the difference was? It was the sound that had cleared out the atmosphere. The Bible said there came a sound as if it was a mighty rushing wind and it filled the house, but it didn't stay in the house. The Bible says it was noised abroad. I just believe that on the day of Pentecost, God did something supernatural. He sent down a few angels and put a whole ring around Jerusalem. And he banned every single demonic spirit, every opposition uh, enemy force that was there so that people were free. When you think about this city of Milwaukee and all the stuff that's going every single day, murders, it's demonic forces, drugs that are here to destroy, to take people's life. What has to happen is the atmosphere has to be changed. Once the atmosphere is changed, once, once there comes a sound as of a mighty rushing wind, then people are free to truly make a choice. They're not under the bondage of demonic forces. These same people who just 50 days before, no doubt were the same ones throwing rocks and saying crucify him. Suddenly there was a change of heart. The Bible says that they were pricked in their hearts. He, he preached to them, this same Jesus, the same Messiah you had been wanting, the one you had been wanting to come and, and deliver you to overthrow the Romans and to free, you put him to death. You same people crucified him. Now we can look at them and say, yeah, they're terrible people. But you know, we are, we're guilty too. We, they weren't the only ones who put him on the cross. We did too. Because it's our sins that put him on the cross. So the, the, the steps to receiving the Holy Spirit and a change of life is acknowledgement that we need to change. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission. The baptism is so that your sins are washed away. When you're baptized in that water, in that pool, when you come up, God looks at you as if you're a newborn baby. Every single thing you have done in your past is gone. To me, if I realized that, I would run to, towards that water. If I hadn't been, I would run towards that. To think that I could, I could come before God perfect, just as a newborn baby. And the Bible then says you shall receive this gift. How do you receive the gift? Well, originally the first group were told they had to wait because it wasn't given yet. Acts 1.14, they continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. They were told to wait because they had to wait until the day of Pentecost. Today, we don't have to wait. All we have to do is truly have a change of heart. Then they worshipped. They were praying. They were seeking this thing. Luke 24.52, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. The last time Jesus spoke to them, and he told them, I want you to go back to Jerusalem and wait. Because I'm going to endue you with power. This is what it says. After they saw him ascend. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. They believed something was going to happen. He had told them, you go wait in Jerusalem. And I'm going to give you something special. I'm going to give you this comforter I've been speaking about. This gift is going to come. And they believed him. They believed him so much that they were happy. They went back to Jerusalem to the upper room and waited there worshipping. And the, what does verse 53 says? And we're continually in the temple praising and blessing God. A lot of us think coming to church for two or three hours on a Sunday is a big deal. No wonder we don't have much power or miracles or anything happening in our lives. They were continually worshiping God. That's what it says continually in the temple praising and blessing God. How do you receive the gift? The Bible says that by the laying on of hands is one way as well. Acts 8, 17, they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. How do you receive? When you hear. When you hear and you believe. Acts 10, 44, while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them which heard the word. Amen. If you could stand with me, we're going to end our, our live stream. Amen. This lesson has been on the comforter. Amen, the comforter. I want to meditate upon that because I need more of God. I need that comfort. There's times the Bible says that we can have a peace that passes human understanding.
I know I've told my story so many times, but I'll tell it one more time. I never forget when we had that fire. And as I told you, I got there first and the house was burning down. And I saw my wife coming down the road in the car and the neighbor was standing and he saw her smiling. And he said, your wife is smiling. And I was saying, Lord, please don't let him think we started this fire for the insurance. He couldn't understand why my wife is smiling and her car is burning up and the house is burning up. He had, he thought, it was so unusual to him, he pointed, your wife is smiling. You see, when you have a peace and a faith in God that passes human understanding, no matter what you're going through, no matter what your present situation, you can still trust in God. <laughs> I, I was scared he was, he was going to say, these people, they probably did it. <laughs> why, why is she smiling? We should have been crying. We should have been sad. And she was smiling. But you know, it's because we believe in God. Our faith is in God, not in, not in circumstances. I'm closing this section. I know I am said I'm closing. So, But I want you to know that you can have a comfort and a peace no matter what circumstance you're in right now that passes human understanding. Father, we just thank you today for your word and for your love and for your greatness. Lord, we ask right now to help us to grasp all the benefits that you have given through your spirit. Lord, we ask for your blessing in our service to come. Lord, give us a peace, O oh God, even in our struggles, even in our troubles, O oh God, in our turmoil right now, Lord God, that there will be a peace that passes human understanding. O oh Lord, for whatever situation we're dealing with, we lift up your name right now. Hallelujah. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Let's give God a praise offering.